Well, good morning. We're so glad you're here with us today. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms uh, in that are watching, viewing, that are part of Journey, and those of you who are tuning in with us. Uh, we're so happy that we get to celebrate Mother's Day with you. If you tune in a little late and you missed our Mother's Day video, uh, then you're going to have to catch that later. We'll post that later as well. Appreciate everyone sending those in, and uh, we especially appreciate uh, the Rogers kids. They were good sports and uh, provided a lot of fun for our video today as well. Uh, we are excited that we are together online. We are looking forward to being together in person, uh, and we are about a week in now to the executive order being lifted. People can start going and doing more. Not everyone is opening up yet. Not everyone is is just going right back to the way things were. We're not either. Uh, we are still watching all of the numbers and looking to see what's going to happen over these next couple of weeks before we bring everybody back here in a room together. Uh, I will tell you that as we're talking about this, and each week we just kind of analyze what's going on and, and how do we make the best decision, uh, we are looking right now to the first Sunday of June to have an outdoor service in our parking lot here where we come and we do everything outside. But that's alternative as we continue to wait and see what happens. If we see a huge spike in cases of coronavirus, then we will probably push that back. If we don't, then that's what we're shooting for based on the weather. Um, but we will keep you informed, and over the next week or two, we should have a more definite um, answer as to whether that is going to happen. That is what we're shooting for, just so you know. Uh, and we are looking forward to getting back together uh, and what a beautiful time of year to be able to do that. We are going through the Beatitudes together, and this is a great, as Scott mentioned, a great day for Mother's Day to talk about the Beatitude of Mercy. We're actually going to have to talk about mercy in the context of the other Beatitudes. We're also going to have to look at mercy in, in relationship to two other very important concepts, words, and characteristics of God, and that is mercy, uh, how it relates to grace, and also how that relates to justice. So as we go through all of these together, if you have your Bibles, you can open to Matthew chapter 5. You can follow along on version. You see, I think, the link on your screen right now if you want to go to the direct link. If you're in the area, then you should be able to just go to events in the version app, and we should pop up, and you can follow along. Both our song lyrics right now through this time are on version, and then message notes are there as well. Um, we're going to continue through the rest of our, our time online until we begin meeting together again. We're going to continue with the same format that we did last week, uh, which is I'm going to teach for a little while, and then we're going to have another time of worship. We're going to close out the normal part of the service, and you can hang out with us after, uh, and we're going to respond to your comments and questions or whatever you'd like to talk about for a few minutes after it's over. We would love for you to stick around um, to do that. So we, we're going to follow that format for a while. If we're going to understand our beatitude for today, I want you to remember that the word beatitude, while we, we even play on the word of attitudes that you should be, that's really not what a beatitude is. Beatitude comes from the Latin uh, beati, which, which literally means blessed. And, uh, and then as we transfer that and, and translate that into English, we come up with the word of beatitude. It's all about the blessings. And as we've gone through here, we're in our fourth week, I hope what you've seen is that these are not blessings that we necessarily aspire to, 
although there are certainly things we can learn about ourselves and how we uh, want to live and how we want to act. And as Scott mentioned, a lot of our kids are still alive because of the mercy of their parents, uh, maybe more so of their mothers than their dads at times. Uh, but as we go through here, these Beatitudes are really things that are, are about a person who is following Jesus with their life. These are characteristics that begin to grow in us. So if we go through some of these and you think, I just am not merciful. I, I remember when, when I was in seminary and I was going through a counseling program and they asked how many people there have the gift of mercy? Everyone in the room raised their hand, but like three of us. And as you might have guessed, if you know me, I did not raise my hand. I do not have the gift of mercy. It is a spiritual gift. It is an important gift. And it is a primary gift of a counselor uh, because they see the pain of others and they want to attend to the pain of others. Um, But not everyone may exhibit all of these beatitudes in the ways that we may think a good Christian should. But I want you to know that in all of us, as we follow Christ and as the Holy Spirit works in us, these are the characteristics that are going to be brought out in us. So let's look at where we've been so far, and then we'll move forward to where we're headed for today. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, I want you to remember this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, and this is where Jesus has been, he begins his public ministry, and the people that are coming to him, his disciples, when it says that the disciples were surrounding him, they're not talking about the 12 disciples that we're going to read about. In fact, if, if you read just in the previous chapter, you'll find... Uh, that Jesus is just now beginning to call those 12 disciples to follow him. But instead, there are people from really the lowest standard of life around. He is going to those who are oppressed, who are poor, who are hurting, who are hungry. He is healing the sick and the lame. They're bringing all of their sick and lame to him, and they have surrounded him. And so he withdraws to the mountain, and he begins to teach. And he teaches these beatitudes to this group of people that are really the kind of the dregs of society that no one wants to be around. And yet Jesus says, these are the people I've come for, and he's using their place in life and their their stature in life as relating to others that we would consider more successful or people who have their lives together, um, he instead goes to those that would not seem successful or have their lives together. And yet Jesus says, you are blessed and then begins to teach on what it looks like to be blessed within the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And he says in verse 1 of chapter 5, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. That's all these people. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And if you've been following along with us over these last three weeks, then you already begin to understand, unless maybe you've already studied these and you're already on top of all of these beatitudes. But you already should be seeing a pattern of behavior, and these beatitudes are somewhat being laid out in a very specific way to talk about the layers of what it looks like to know and to follow Jesus Christ. And it begins uh, with... Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, not the middle class in spirit, not the wealthy in spirit, but the poor in spirit, those who do not have confidence in themselves, those who do not think they can make it on their own, but instead they need God. And as we talked about those first two, blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those who mourn, what we find are, are, are blessed 
are those whose faith is completely in God and not in themselves, which is really hard for some of us to not fully put our own faith in ourselves to manage everything and take care of ourselves and to plot our own course. And, and Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are poor in spirit that do not have the confidence to go out and say, I'm going to take care of this all by myself. I'm going to be a self-made person. But instead, they're living their life in faith. And he says, God's kingdom belongs to you who have this faith in God and who mourn over not only their brokenness, but mourn over brokenness within the world. That, that repentant spirit that says we are broken and we must return to God. Blessed are they, and they're going to receive the kingdom of heaven, this kingdom that they so desperately wanted on earth. He's saying, no, it's not going to happen on earth. This kingdom of heaven, it's coming, it's here, and it comes to those of you who have faith and who mourn. He then goes on to, to talk about the meek, and we talked about meek being strength under power, not necessarily just total weakness. Or it, it, Humility is a part of this, but it's also self-control. Blessed are the meek. They're going to inherit the earth. So blessed are those who find their strength through God or through the Holy Spirit and don't consider themselves better than anyone else. And that is so crucial within our culture and society to understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And we're not always good at this, are we? Sometimes we really want to think we're better than others. We have a lot of coping mechanisms in life that makes us want to feel better than others. A lot of times when someone's incredibly critical, the reason they're critical is because they're trying to tear down everyone around them because they themselves do not feel like they have anything to offer, any value. So rather than being built up themselves, if they can bring everyone else down, then they can feel more valuable. But that, that's not what meekness is. It's not meekness for us as Christians to look down on those who are not Christians, or for us to look on another faith and say and look down on those. Jesus never looked down on people. Instead, he looked at those that everyone else looked down on, and he had mercy on them. But blessed are the meek. They are going to inherit the earth. Those who find strength through the Holy Spirit and don't consider themselves better than anyone else, God himself is going to comfort them in the midst of a place where they may not be feeling blessed by others. God is there and will comfort those because he recognizes they're trusting and leaning totally on him. And then last week was, was really the beatitude that sets everything in place to understand what Jesus is trying to say. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, this is not those who hunger and thirst for justice or hunger and thirst for, to be right about everything or hunger and thirst to make sure their way makes, you know, get everything is going to happen the way they want it to happen. But instead, blessed are those who yearn, or that hungering and thirsting is the idea of yearning. Blessed are those who yearn for righteousness. And that, we looked last week, that, that is a really multifaceted idea of righteousness. It is to do what is right. It is to be right. But this yearning for righteousness is not just that we do everything the right way and we're perfect, because that's not going to happen. And it's not that we are always going to be right, and so we're going to debate people until we beat them into submission and they admit, yeah, you're, you're right. Instead, it's the idea, or, or in addition to, it's the idea of we are right by someone. 
we are right by God. God is right by us, just as you might be right by your kids. I do right by my kids. I do right by my spouse. I do right by God. God does right by me. He keeps his promises. He is always pushing me to, to, to become more than I am, and he's showering blessings and mercy on me, even when I don't deserve it. God does right by us. And so this yearning is to see this healing of relationships with people and God and also with people and other people. This is this hidden idea of righteousness that in our kind of black and white society, you're either right or wrong society, gets lost when what Jesus is saying here is those who yearn for reconciliation and restoration between our relationship with our Creator and our relationship with each other, if you'll remember, this is, I think Paul talks about this and saying this is our ministry of reconciliation. Our goal is to go out and help people be reconciled with God. So we yearn for this restoration of relationships all over the place, and then he moves on to where we are today to talk about, so what does that look like? So as we hunger and yearn for these rebuilding and the, these healthy relationships that, that come out of truly having faith, trusting God, being under control and humble and, and, and believing for him for everything, then he begins over these next three Beatitudes to say, so this is what that looks like. So if we are yearning for this restoration, this reconciliation, then it's going to look like, and if we look at verses 7 through 9, the next three Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. So these people that are poor in spirit and those who are mourning and those who are meek and those who are hungering and thirsting or yearning for righteousness, they are going to be merciful. They are going to be pure in heart. They are going to be peacemakers. And do you see those relational kind of surrounding foundation of righteousness there? Merciful is about relationships. Pure in heart about relationships. Being a peacemaker is about relationships. So very much the message of Jesus is, is relational. It's about a relationship with other people. And, and as we all are struggling today to do that, this is a different Mother's Day for us, right? It feel, we feel less relational in some ways. And maybe, maybe if you're normally kind of an introvert or, and you're fine being alone, you, you may have so much online stuff that's just pouring over you that you have come to a place where you, I feel more related to people than I ever have. But but this Mother's Day is a little different. We feel a little less relational. Some of us aren't going to go out to eat the way that we normally go out to eat. We're not going to have the big family gathering like we normally have the big family gathering. And and so it's 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 different, but his message is relational. Which means we find reasons and ways to build relationships with each other. That is really what the church is. Paul talks about the church being a body. It's all these members, <clears throat> excuse me, in relationship with each other. And the, the church doesn't fully function until all the members of the body function relationally in a healthy way together. So Jesus' message is very relational. If you remember, and if you'll read just, <clears throat> excuse me, in the chapter before this, Jesus, Jesus says his message is 
Repent. In other words, turn away from distancing yourself from God. Repent turns back to God. Turn away from your sin. The kingdom of heaven is here. Your relationship with God is here. His message is very relational, and so these beatitudes are also relational. But but the one we want to focus on today is blessed are the merciful. And all of this, I, I, I want to couch in the terms of those of you who have been with us through our series on Genesis. These are not just a checklist, as we've said, I think, every week. These are not just a checklist of things, oh, I've got to go do that. I've got to be poor in spirit today. I've got to be meek today. I've got to mourn today. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. They're not checklists. They are indicators that we are again bearing the image of of God, because these are all characteristics of God. And as he created us to be in his image, the more that we are reconciled with him, the more that we have faith and trust in him, the more that the Holy Spirit changes us, the more that we understand our place with God, we increasingly should be demonstrating or bearing the image of God. This is us becoming more like God or more like Christ. And that's what we are called to do, to become more like Christ. So what is mercy? Is mercy just putting a band-aid on someone who's hurt? What does it look like to be merciful? And and I do want us to understand this in the context of grace and justice. But mercy in and of itself is this, if you want a, a definition of mercy, it is compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone who it is within one's power to punish or harm. In other words, I am in a position, whether it is because I, I am morally right or because I hold a position of authority that I can harm you and I choose not to harm you. That is mercy. Mercy is not grace. That is mercy. It is compassion when you can judge. It is forgiveness when you can punish. That is mercy. And blessed are those who are merciful. And what will they receive because of their mercy? They themselves will receive God's mercy. It's incredible what he's saying here. There's this link towards our mercy, garnering the mercy of God towards us. Not that somehow we inspire God to give us mercy, but instead, because we are being equipped with the mercy that is God's character, we demonstrate that, and through that we receive more mercy. It's an incredible thing what Jesus is saying here. In Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 to 22, he's asking about, well, what about this forgiveness? Because some of us struggle with this. Like, people should do the right thing, and if they don't do the right thing, then they should be punished. And so Peter asked this question of Jesus. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. In other words, you just keep forgiving. Mercy doesn't run out. There's not a limit for mercy. You just, you just continue to forgive in Psalm 145, 8, 9, it says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, which is a core characteristic of mercy, slow 
uh, to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. Mercy is a huge component of God's interaction with us. It is one of the reasons he does interaction with us, or at least one of the ways that he does by showing us mercy. This is a core characteristic of who God is. Matthew 9, 9, when Jesus is calling Matthew, we see this uh, incredible story that, that many have struggled with over these last few decades as we recognize we've become somewhat called the frozen chosen, like we only have mercy and love people who are just like us, who maybe go to a church or at least are just Christians. And if you're not one of us, then we've got nothing for you. This has been a problem since the very beginning with religious people. And this is how Jesus addressed it in Matthew 9, 9. As Jesus passed on, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in, in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came over reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And just understand, tax collectors, while they may not have been uh, all poor financially, they were in the destitute group. Like nobody liked the tax collectors. Nobody wanted to have a relationship with them. They were often lumped in as the sinners, as those people that do not fit in, do not belong And this is Matthew who would become one of his 12 disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, these religious people, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. And this is, he's quoting Hosea here, go and Learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Now that phrase that he's quoting here is really, it's crucial to understand the timing of this quote. This is an Old Testament quote that Jesus is ushering ushering in to this uh, New Testament time. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Sacrifice was the thing that made you right with God. It was the system of the day until Jesus dies on the cross and then walks out of the tomb. This is the system of the day to be made right with God. And Jesus is saying, and the prophet Hosea was saying in the Old Testament, what God wants most for you to demonstrate that you get it that you are with God, that you have a real faith, that you are mimicking the image of God within your life, is not that you are on time and doing the exact right sacrifice all the time, but instead he's saying this act, this act of mercy that we show others aligns us so completely with God, it even is more important than the system of being right with God. It demonstrates that your heart is in tune with God. You are right with God as you show mercy to others. We can't miss how important mercy is. Now, some of us are good at mercy, and and, and there's, you know, good ways to show mercy and, and not good ways to show mercy. We'll talk about that in a minute. Sometimes we show mercy simply because we're afraid to offend anybody or hurt anybody's feelings. And, and that is not what Jesus is talking about. He does not say just become a, you know, a, a compliant to anything anybody wants you to do 
simply because you're afraid of how they'll respond to you if you don't comply. That is not what mercy is. That is how some people define mercy. And when someone uses the idea of mercy like a weapon for you, which or against you, which would be like this, you're a Christian, and you should show more mercy than that. I, I don't often hear that because mercy is just not a word we use, period. But that weapon is not what Jesus is talking about. There is a place for justice. There is a place for strength. There is a place for holiness. And there is a place for grace. In all of this, mercy is bigger than all of those ideas. But what I want you to see in this that Jesus is saying is, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He's saying, I'm looking for those people who get the message deep in their heart, not just those who know the checklists. That's what the Beatitudes are. That it, it, Deep within our heart, we understand the heart of God and what he wants for us. And we are compelled to do that in a large part due to the Holy Spirit within us. So how do we understand this within the context of, of grace and justice? Sometimes mercy and grace are used in our Changeably, sometimes we we want to use them together and and we sometimes understand them differently sometimes we understand them as the same thing our definition of mercy and these are in your notes as well if you're following along on you version mercy is that compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm now that is mercy you have the ability to to have compassion on or forgive to overlook a wrong done But that is not grace. Grace, as we understand it as followers of Jesus, is that free and unmerited favor of God, and that is manifested in the salvation of sinners and God's bestowal of blessings upon us. In other words, grace is the foundation for which mercy can prosper through. It is grace in which we we do not deserve mercy. We do not deserve forgiveness. We do not deserve compassion. We as a species rebelled against God through Adam and Eve in the garden, and we've continued that ever since. While we still bear the image of God, we push against him. We do our own thing. We live our own lives. We make our own truths. We ignore all that is evil within the world unless it affects us personally. And yet God still goes after us. That is grace. It is unmerited favor with God. He shouldn't have that favor based on our own principles of what is right and fair. But instead, through grace, he gives us that unmerited favor, which is demonstrated most fully with Jesus on the cross and salvation we have through him. So grace is the foundation for which mercy can can grow unmerited favor gives you the opportunity to show grace and compassion and forgiveness to others to withhold judgment when you could judge to withhold punishment when you could punish that is that table is set through grace but there's another component here and there are those that would push christians into the full mercy and grace side of the table and ignore the justice side in other words just go along with what everyone else says now, now, moms, it's Mother's Day. What would your house look like if you went along with everything your kids said? What would it look like? What would your life look like? Dad, same thing. What, what would your life look like? What would our society look 
like. If we embraced mercy as a societal norm and we understood that mercy to mean I will never punish you or hold anything against you in a court of law, what would our nation look like? What would our world look like? And this is not just a, a, a pragmatic or a practical way of trying to struggle through what does mercy look like, but this is also where we look at the whole character of God. And part of God's character is judge and justice. And so we have to understand this mercy with justice. How do we understand that within this world in which we live? Justice is to make right righteous or to make right with God and others. So again, our, our, our concept of righteousness is not just this black and white, right or wrong, but it is, is this healing, restoring, reconciliation of relationships between people. So what justice really is, justice is that action to make things right. To make things reconciled. To make relationships healthy. So if justice is to make things right and mercy is to withhold punishment, how do we understand these three components together? Some in the news we have seen recently is heartbreaking and heart-wrenching. It is the death of yet another young black man who is shot in the streets because he has been labeled a criminal, a petty thief, by two men who have decided that with their shotguns they're going to dispense justice on the streets of their neighborhood. Ahmaud Arbery, I'm sure you have followed this story, is a story of caution. It is a story of betrayal of a community of people. And it is a story of a broken system of government, of enforcement, and of just relationships between people that should reside peacefully together. I'm sure you know the story, and I'm not going to go into all of the story or the details, but in one community, some, some theft has occurred, some burglaries have occurred, and this young man, Ahmad, had been out running, jogging. He was an athlete, young man. He was uh, curious about a house that was being built but he was labeled by two men as a threat. And so they jumped in their truck and they grabbed their shotguns and they went after this person and after a scuffle because they said he would not follow simple commands. The reason I bring this up is that at the end of this scuffle because this young black man being chased by two white men with shotguns and a pickup truck would not comply with their simple commands... The struggle that ensued cost him his life, and it took two, three months for those men to be arrested for that crime. Now, this is the complete absence of mercy, because what they did not do was give him the benefit of the doubt. He was judged, and he was executed. 
And yet, as we look on on the story, we ourselves look on often not in mercy, but in judgment. Who was right? Who was wrong? Who should have been punished? Who is being punished? And what is even more heartbreaking is a Facebook group called Justice for These Two Men that took this boy's life had garnered yesterday over 100,000 members to say the real tragedy are these two men who are being arrested, not this young man who was shot dead in the streets. As I looked through their group, it was a private group. I did not have any intention of joining it, but they had some rules on there. I thought the rules to join the group were very interesting. The rules said things like this, be kind and courteous. The rule said, no bullying or hate speech. And I find that so ironic that we want to race to the defense of two men who jumped in a truck with shotguns and took the life of a man they deemed was a petty criminal. That those believe they themselves were deserving of mercy, while those they defend gave no mercy. Now, I say this because it's a travesty in many ways. It's a travesty for, for, for just the racial struggle within our nation. It's a travesty that a young man who was out for a jog has lost his life simply because he was curious and walking around a community while he was jogging, something he would regularly do. And all of the system that was there to bring justice in that moment dissipated and disappeared, recusing themselves rather than holding accountable this heinous act. Now, how do we understand mercy in that? How do we understand justice in that? There are those that would understand mercy to say, well, those two men should just be given mercy and they should, it was just a bad situation and they should be forgiven and they shouldn't have any, any punishment for that. There are others that say those men should have the same punishment that, that Ahmad did or the same reward, however you want to view that. So how do we understand mercy with all of these things? What does it look like to be merciful? The Beatitude says this, blessed are the merciful, not blessed are those who never pursue justice. It does not say that. What does it look like? If we go on and and towards the end of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to find that mercy looks like forgiving your enemies, even those who persecute you. It means forgiving those people that have your very worst at heart and they want to hurt you. Jesus says, if you want to understand what mercy is, that means those people that hate you the most are the people you should forgive. You shouldn't even pray for them. Those who seek to persecute you because of your faith and because of your love for Christ, for nothing else you've done wrong other than you love Jesus, you should be persecuted. We should forgive and have mercy on them. It means holding critical comments that we may want to unleash on others. And I know a lot of you struggle with that on one side or the other. That need to feel value and so tear down others. And so it's so easy to be critical because you're trying to fill a hole or a need within yourself. 
Or maybe you're the, on the other side of that and, and you're the person who's receiving the criticism. You're just constantly being criticized over and over and over again. What does it look like to be merciful? We withhold critical comments because we recognize they hurt people. Now, that does not mean that we don't exercise uh, teaching, discipleship. If someone needs to be held accountable, it would go against the rest of the teaching of Scripture to say we never hold anyone accountable. But that begins to show us that tension of being merciful that we struggle with between mercy and justice. There's a a, a, a kind of blurry line. What does it look like to forgive versus to hold accountable? What does it look like to, to withhold punishment or to dispense justice? How, that, it's a fuzzy, fuzzy line. How do we do that? We'll get there in just a minute. What does it look like to be merciful? It means giving when you think someone is undeserving. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you, even though I think you're, this is totally your fault. You've totally got yourself in this situation, but I'm going to have mercy and I am going to help withhold the consequences for your decision. Showing mercy can be hard because it causes us to give up something that we ourselves feel entitled to. I feel entitled to be angry. I feel entitled to be morally righteous. I feel entitled to judge you. And this is where Jesus says, before you go and worry about judging everyone else, Take the speck out of your, or take the log out of your own eye before you analyze the speck in someone else's. Deal with your own stuff. Because mercy grows out of recognizing our own true motives and our own struggles. That when I see someone else struggling, I don't look at them as if I have none. But I understand they're struggling through my own. I understand their sin through my own sin. I understand their own failings through my own failings. And that should well within us a sense of mercy. We feel entitled to those things. We feel entitled to our judgment and punishment of those that we deem deserve it. And it makes us sick. And it pulls us away from God. He says again in verse 13 of Matthew 9, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So why does this matter? Why does this beatitude matter? Why does mercy matter? As we look through these three different words, mercy, grace, justice, it is through God's mercy that he offers us grace, unmerited favor his mercies are new every day he's a god of great mercy he pours that mercy on us day in and day out and as part of that mercy that he gives us grace paul says in ephesians 2 god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and, ra- and raised us up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. All of that is possible because God himself is rich in mercy. If we are beneficiaries of that mercy, we should be sharing that mercy with others as well. We're going to follow Jesus. It matters. 
Because we have to grow in demonstrating mercy to others. Micah in the Old Testament says this. If you want a, a, a checklist, this is one of the only places I say there's a checklist. If you want to follow one, this is a good one to follow. He says, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what he requires of you. To do what is right. There's that word right again. To do what is reconciling. To do what is creating healthy relationships. To do what is making people right with God and with each other. To do what is right. To love mercy. Not just dispense mercy. He says love mercy. I love the idea of being merciful because we have received mercy. And then he says, and to walk humbly with your God, which is required for any of this to happen. To do right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Just as we looked at righteousness last week, Jesus says, You've got to be better at this than even the teachers of, of the law. <laughs> better than the Pharisees and the scribes. This is, he said, he's, he's constantly saying, these are the people we hold up on this pedestal, the most righteous, most uh, holy people. But you, if you're going to be in the kingdom of heaven, if you want to receive the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be better than them. He says this in, in, in Matthew 23. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. In other words, you measure on the minors. You take care of all the little things, but you don't do the things that really matter. Maybe we understand this tithing of mint and dill and cumin. Maybe we understand that as I show up to church every now and again. Maybe we understand that as I give a couple of dollars here every now and then to someone who's in need. Or every now and again I might show mercy to a friend of mine. Or, you know, these the easy ways. He says, you've neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. Here he places mercy and justice in equal footing. They are both the weightier matters. One of the more important reasons that the law exists. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, but you blind guys, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Again, you're majoring on the stuff that don't matter. You make sure that you keep the gnat out, but you take in the whole camel whenever you ignore the things that are more important. But here's what I want to leave you with today on, on the blessed are the merciful. I, they are so tied to the mercy of God in that if we do not show mercy to others, God will not show mercy to us. That is one of the scariest passages in the Bible. So how do we walk this fine line between mercy and justice? I, I don't have a a perfect answer for that. But I would say that there are two important things for you to do. I don't think, and honestly, if anyone tells you they have a perfect answer for this, they're lying. <laughs> they're lying. The very nature of God's character of mercy and justice being equally dispensed is difficult for anyone to truly understand. But I would say there are two things that you should do in understanding 
when to show mercy and when to, to dispense justice. And, and one of the first one is this. You have to be so close to Christ in your daily walk with him. You have to be reading his word. You have to be spending deep moments uh, in prayer and just quiet with him, listening, growing, letting the Holy Spirit renew and create that, create that new person within you. You have to walk so closely with Christ and in a moment he can whisper in your ear, show mercy or dispense justice. That's hard, isn't it? But sometimes we can't really tell the difference between what I'm saying in my own head and what Jesus is saying. And so that's why this walking humbly with our God is so important to hear and to act. And the second thing I would say is this. You have to be so in tune with your own motivations that whenever those moments come and I can dispense mercy or I can dispense justice, you understand what your motive is. Is it anger that drives me to this? See, if anger drives me to this, then I am likely to dispense justice when God may want me to dispense mercy. Or is it just a fear that someone is going to, fear of conflict or the fear that someone's not going to think highly of you if you disagree with them? And so you dispense mercy when God says, I really, this is a time to dispense justice. But because we recognize, I fear how they'll respond to me if I don't give mercy in this moment, then we can more attunely hear what God is saying. So walking so closely with Jesus in which you can hear what he says in that moment, and at the same time, being so acutely in tune and aware of your own motivations within yourself. Because we cannot ignore what he has said. Justice is necessary. Mercy is also necessary. It means at times we're going to dispense justice. At times we're going to dispense mercy. It means that that a judge is going to send someone to prison here or over here. That same judge may commute a sentence. It means at times that I'm going to come down on my kids and I'm going to come down hard and I'm going to tell them this is the way it is. This is the way it's going to be. The scripture tells us you have to, you have to mentor. You have to, you have to hold them accountable. Spare the rod, spoil the child. But there are times that I'm going to overlook those behaviors. We're going to overlook the things in which they have done wrong because they can't do everything right. Walking that fine line is difficult. When you're at school and you're, you're bullied, you want to dispense justice because you're hurt and your anger. Maybe forgiveness is what God is whispering into your ear to say, forgive the bully. It gets, gets messy, doesn't it? In those moments when it gets messy and maybe even the cost feels too high to, to dispense mercy, this is where we come back to, well, what do they receive? Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. So easy to put ourselves on a pedestal and look down at all the faults of everyone else. And yet, the, the answer is to look up and to see all the ways God is dispensing mercy to ourselves. That should be the motive, to, to be merciful to others. On this Mother's Day, I encourage you, moms who are struggling to, to demonstrate mercy, Join the club, and yet you often carry the banner to show the rest of us what mercy looks like. As you struggle in your own heart to forgive others, know that you have been given a great amount of mercy yourself, that God loves you and God is with you. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you that you are a God of mercy. And not only are you a a God of mercy, but you regularly show mercy even when we don't deserve it. Your grace knows no bounds. You have given us unmerited favor when we deserve everything but that. And so, Father, I do pray that you would you would show us how we best can balance this difficult place between mercy and justice. We thank you and we worship you for the mercy we've received. And I pray for the strength to do what is right and to lead to reconciliation and restoration of relationships, both with people with you and people with each other, and that when we do that, we understand that as our goal for justice, not that we punish. You have removed the punishment we deserve. Father, I pray that you would help us to do that with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.